This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. This is Jill Soley, co-author of Beyond Product, how exceptional founders embrace marketing to create and capture value for their business. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers to help them grow. If that sounds like your company and you're serious about growth, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. Now, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to be more successful. So, special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist, which is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Jill Soley to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book she has co-authored with Todd Wilms, Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business, published by Morgan James. Jill Soley is a Silicon Valley-based strategic product and marketing executive. She has launched and grown innovative new products at Adobe, Freshworks, and Siebel, and advised and consulted to many startups. Jill currently is the chief product officer at Oboe, where she is working on agile product management software that aims to reduce the high failure rates for new products. And she holds a Bachelor of Science and MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. And interesting fact, she was once a hang gliding instructor in North Carolina. Jill, congratulations on Beyond Product and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, thank you, Douglas. I'm glad to be here. So I've interviewed a number of other MIT grads, and I, as as you might not be surprised, when you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you keep track of all the trivia about the authors. And Stanford grads seem to have the most books that have been on the show. I think there's a uh, the joke is that to be accepted there, you're required to write a sales or marketing book. But the MIT folks are starting to give them a run for their money. So, uh, you know, good on you there, Jill. All right. I'm going to have to get all my other friends from MIT to start writing some books. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So this book scratches an itch that I had, and I'll tell you why. A long time, but even the day it showed up, the day before, I was talking to this company in Canada, and they had come up with these the products, and, and they were physical products, actually. It had to do with uh, fire prevention, something like that. But they had the product. And they were thinking, why are we not minting money? Why, why are we not selling anything? We've got a darn great product. And this was a real product-focused person. And I was, what do you do in a 15-minute conversation like that? I was trying to explain to him, well, there's some things you, you, know, you need to think about. And, and all I could do was recommend a couple of books that have been on the, on the show. And then your book showed up next. And I thought, oh, yes, I am going to be adding this to the recommended list. And I, 
I'm going to send that person a uh, link to this interview. So thank you for this book. Can you tell us more about what else prompted you to want to write this? Well, you nailed it right there. I can't tell you how many times I have seen and heard that story, right? And I've, I've been doing software product management and marketing for the past almost 20 years. I've made as many mistakes as the next person. And I've seen companies throw away money building products that they don't that they make huge mistakes taking to market. And so the product fails and it may not be because it was a bad product. Mm-hmm. And I've seen all these startup founders, right? They, their life's work, right? They, they toil away to build this incredible product, but then they think, oh, well, I launched a better product. So of course it's going to be successful, but nobody knows it exists. Yes. And the dirty little secret of the, the book that you all have written, almost all of this applies to big companies too. <laughs> I've seen it. I was in a meeting with a client on Monday where this this was uh this was an issue and I just it's I, you and I we see it but it's it's really not very apparent to a lot of these uh, companies uh big and small. Let me just add to what you said by quoting from the beginning of the book. Marketing will significantly increase your chances of success and it can act as a multiplier for sales if you understand what it is and know how to use it. This book is designed to be a source for better understanding marketing, knowing how and when to use marketing and how to find the talented employees and partners to help you succeed with your idea. We will walk you through how to best use these insights and even more importantly, when to use them. We wrote this book because we worked for many amazing founders and saw firsthand their drive and passion to pursue what they believe in and the desire to change the world. It has been a daily inspiration for us both throughout our careers and in the writing of this book. Startup founders have a tremendous weight upon their shoulders. You are the first everything for your idea, first evangelist and salesperson, first customer service person, first finance person, first operations person, and yes, first marketer. Everyone you bring on board looks to you for answers, even when the answers aren't there. Everyone needs a little help, so this book was crafted to give founders insights, guidance, strategies, and practical advice to help them answer some of those tough questions, make even smarter decisions, and know where and how to get the help needed as they evolve their idea. So, Jill, you say that each year 600,000 companies start up in the U.S., and more than three-quarters of those fail, and over half of those failures cite lack of market need or poor marketing as the cause. And then you also write that marketing is critical to success, but founders and leaders are skeptical and hesitant about it. What, what are the reasons for this resistance? I think there are several reasons for the resistance. And certainly, probably the first one is that most founders don't come from a marketing background, right? If you look across companies, at least here, Certainly, there are a lot of tech founders. There are people who they know their domain and they have an idea because they see a problem in their domain or they come from a sales background. But most don't come from marketing and maybe just don't have a really good grasp for it. Often, then they've had a bad experience, right? They've seen their companies spend a bunch of money on some big campaign, some big program that completely failed, or at least from their perception. That's so true. And there is no shortage of marketing malpractice out there. Marketing fails. I mean, almost every day you, we can see how it, it wasn't done correctly. Correct. Correct. And so if that's your experience with it, and you don't really understand it, then it can taint your view if you don't have something that comes and sort of pushes you and helps you see that maybe you're just thinking about it wrong. Mm -hmm. Another one that you talk about in the book is one that I like to talk about in talks I give, which is marketers have an image problem. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You take that on full force. You know, they, they love abbreviations and they're speaking a different language and they're not often talking the language of what their founder is familiar with. And it's funny, right? Because because we know this, right? That like one of the basics of marketing is about understanding your audience, right? And speaking to your audience. (laughs) Yet tofu and bofu and ABM and right. I mean, 
the acronyms are all over the place, right? And they make no sense to anybody. They they really do. Or they'll talk about um, more broad terms like branding and storytelling. And I argue that you have to be careful as a marketer using terms like that around civilians. Yes. One of the most interesting conversations I ever had was with uh, an early sort of creative exec at Google who went there and I think he was actually hired to like be responsible for brand or, or at least, you know, sort of a corporate marketing role. I don't remember all the specifics, but he talked about how he really in understanding the DNA of Google and the people there just didn't use any of those words, but instead did various things to try and just help them see the value Mm -hmm. of what this marketing stuff brings without using those words. And frankly, that's why the book is called Beyond Product and doesn't even have marketing in the title. Ah, I see what you did there. You know, there's a... (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Just us and the listener, okay. But there's another one, though, uh, like we talked about, you call it product mythology, where, you know, let's be honest, Jill, if you if you just build a great product, do you really need to market? Yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, it's interesting because marketing won't replace, won't solve the problem of a bad product. Mm-hmm. If you have good marketing and you have a bad product... Customers are going to figure it out. Maybe they'll buy initially, but they're not going to renew, right? They're going to tell their friends, et cetera, right? It won't solve that problem. But yeah. if you have a good product and nobody knows it exists, how are they, you know, or if they can't buy it, they can't discover it, they're unable to buy it, all those things, how are you going to be successful? I don't know, but there was one line in the book that I am going to be using, and I should disclose there is so much from this book that I'm stealing, with full attribution, of course, though, but for when I'm, when I'm doing talks and things. And one of them, I was thinking, boy, we could put this on our homepage. He who has a thing to sell and goes and whispers in a well is not so apt to get the dollars as he who climbs a tree and hollers. Now, just so the listener knows, the whole book is not uh, like that. It doesn't, doesn't rhyme throughout. <laughs> but her next book apparently is. So there's one other thing, though, and that's where you talk about this notion of, well, we haven't done any marketing, which is actually, they're usually wrong when they're saying that because they don't understand what marketing is. Or they say, well, we can do that later. Talk about that. Yeah. So often, you know, there are all these companies. I think Dropbox has been known for this. I think even Slack said this at one point, you know, we don't, we don't market, we don't do any marketing, we're successful, right? And we didn't need to do any marketing. Well, if you actually unpack the stuff that they did, well, there's definitely been some marketing. I mean, Slack in particular, right? I mean, they had Bill Masaitis, who's a phenomenal marketer running marketing for a while and really looking across the company at, you know, to up-level their brand. They made a ton of investments in their brand, you know, not just from a sort of mark and and name kind of thing, but from a voice perspective, right? And thinking about um, how to make the product viral, right? I mean, all of that stuff is marketing. And so, and this even came up in some of my interviews. I remember one interview in particular where I was talking to a founder and when I asked him about marketing and what they did, he immediately went to ads like Facebook ads and stuff. And I was like, hmm, well, that's one kind of marketing. What about all this other stuff? And I pointed to the other things they were doing. And he was like, oh, huh, good point. <laughs> and I was just flipping through the book trying to find that quote because it was, it, it was so good where they're saying, no, we haven't done any marketing. And then you showed them, actually, you've been doing a lot of marketing and you just don't know, know that because so many people think of marketing as uh, promotion versus some of the other, th- the other three Ps of uh, product, price, and, and place, which we can, we can talk about. So, Jill, we're talking about how a lot of people don't understand what marketing is, and that's fair. That's fair. So here's a question I don't think I've ever asked on the Marketing Book Podcast in the first 250 episodes, but what the heck is marketing? So it's funny you should ask because I ask that in a lot of my interviews and I can't tell you how many different answers I got. It's also the title of chapter two. What is marketing? (laughs) Yep. So 
that's one of the interesting things about writing a book is it really sort of solidified for me what I think marketing is. And I came, uh, the definition that I came to that I like is it's the two-way communication between your company and your customers. And so if you unpack that sort of what that means to me anyway, is uh, it's everything you do, right? If you were just referring to the four Ps, right? The like classic definition of marketing, product, price, promotion, placement, right? Now I think there are seven Ps or nine Ps or I don't know. How yeah, many or there's there the four A's. I mean, there's several. Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go with our acronyms. Yeah, here we go. Right, right. But the, you know, the point there is, first of all, that starts with the product, right? And it's really interesting to me that classic marketing, right? It starts with the product because that product is kind of the major, the core um, experience that customers have with your company and your brand. But it's also, it's how they find out about the product. It's where they buy the product. It's customer support. It's anywhere that your company and your product and your brand interacts with them. It's the billboards you have. It's, it's all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's two ways in this day and age, right? Gone are the days where it's just a megaphone and your company can just speak to the customer and they have no way to speak back, but it's all those conversations on Twitter. It's the comments online, the reviews online. And so you really have to think about it as a relationship, and a two-way communication. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think there's a blind spot for so many companies that don't understand it's two-way communication. The megaphone is broken. (laughs) You can't (laughs) command their attention. But two-way communication includes what you just described, but also observing your customers, interviewing them, spending time with them, almost like ethnographic research. There's so many books that have been on the show that talk about the importance of observing your customers and gathering insights. This doesn't mean going and saying, what should we do with our product? <laughs> but right. It's so important, the, the whole idea of two-way communication. And I think so many companies and businesses should ask themselves, what are we doing to facilitate two-way communication. And there's many ways to do it, but even just asking that question and maybe getting started can really help them particularly stand out against their competitors. It's amazing to me how many companies, how many CEOs, how many product people actually don't spend time with their customers. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Or when they do, it's to sell, which is not the same And what you hear will be very different from going and spending time with them and observing them. Spend a day following them around, right? Ask them a bunch of questions. Learn about them and who they are and what they care about and what their experience is. Yeah, sure, with your product and your company and with other the rest of their work and their life as well. Right, because the rest of their work and life might not actually involve your product. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting also, you know, if, if people could ask, well, what is it that just irritates our customers? Maybe it's not our company or our product, but what is it, where's the friction in their life? You start to get the, some of those uh, ideas. So let's, if we could, there are five areas of marketing that you outline in your book that I think would be a great primer or refresher for a lot of the, the listeners. And we could just walk through those and you could sort of explain them almost as if you're having coffee with that founder who's suddenly coming to you and saying, I think we're ready for that marketing thing. <laughs> but, but it helps. I think it will help people understand like where they are or the different types of marketing. Because I think a lot of people think of marketing as just this sort of amorphous blob that... Uh, In some instances, sadly, people think of as arts and crafts, party planning, and and making things look pretty. So the five are corporate marketing, demand generation, marketing operations, product marketing, and field marketing. So corporate marketing, let's talk about that for just a minute. Why is it like Grand Central Station? (laughs) Because in many ways, it's sort of the central point uh, for a whole bunch of other things, right? And so when you have a startup, sort of stepping back, when you have a startup, corporate marketing and product marketing are really very much the same thing because your company is your product and your product is your company. Mm -hmm. As you get bigger, um, if you're a large company like a Salesforce.com or a Facebook or Adobe or whatever, you have many products And so this is really kind of that central point where everything comes together, where you tell the story of 
how your business, right, and how all of these products fit together to help your customer. Mm-hmm. And so corporate marketing actually includes a bunch of different things, right? This is really about your company brand, right? And sort of that center point for figuring out, well, what your brand is and what your brand voice is and how you communicate that, right? What is the lasting impression, I guess, that you want to create for the market about your company? How do you want them to think about your company? Mm -hmm. And then like public relations, right? How you is, is sort of a how you get that story out, this may include social media, it may include content, depending on your business, it may include relationships with, with analysts and other kinds of influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are various different pieces that this may include, depending on your company and your business. Right. And I, my sense was that of those five we just mentioned we're going to talk about, that's the one most people probably associate or, or they're most familiar with uh, is, the, is the corporate marketing part. So I think it varies, right? Because what what happens is depending on where you've been, where you've been working, some people have a lens of marketing as PR. Some people have a lens of marketing is is growth marketing. It's growth hacking. It's, you know, digital media Mm -hmm. ads, right? Like marketing is all these things. I mean, that's sort of, that's kind of what's interesting about it, that it's a whole bunch of things. And there's this idea that marketing is sort of, one thing, and depending on where you've come to, uh, where you've been, you may not realize it's sort of all this stuff. And that's also where people fall into the trap of thinking they can just hire a marketer right, right. who can do everything. Yeah, yeah. Just like getting a, a photocopy machine, you know. I've met so many right. folks that were like the first marketer that was hired at a company. And they come in and they say, well, I'm, I'm going to need a budget. And <laughs> this one woman I know, the, the reaction was, well, that's what we hired you for. So <laughs> she had some work to do and uh, clearly some uh, therapist bills to pay. So the next one is uh, demand generation. And you describe that as mad scientist and alchemist. So if you had to explain to somebody who didn't know what it is, what what is demand generation? So demand generation is really about how you generate demand, right? We've all, we all know what supply and demand is, right? It's how do you get people interested and, you know, in what it is that you're selling, Right. Um, people generally think about this as leads. They purely think of this, and they fo- they get very focused on lead generation. Right. How many contacts can you bring in? Who then you could you know send emails to or what? However you you reach out to mm-hmm. them. It's it, that's a limited view because it actually entails a lot more. Right. Just because you got somebody's name, say at a conference, doesn't necessarily mean they're a potential buyer for your product. Right. So there's sort of a lot more that goes into this. And certainly there's the reason for the sort of mad scientist and alchemist is there's sort of a lot of optimization you can do and a lot of thinking in terms of, you know, where do you advertise? Right. Do you do conferences? Do you do online ads? Do you do something else? Where do you need to be in order to reach your market? And what messages do you need to reach them with? When and how and so forth in order to get them interested uh, in what it is that you're selling. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist might be the answer to one of your biggest worries. As I mentioned earlier, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to keep up and be more successful, but there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 3,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are from top-notch authors, many of whom have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, including Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Robert Cialdini, Philip Kotler, David Merriman Scott, Ann Hanley, Bob Berg, John Jantz, Jonah Berger, Jill Conrath, Jeb Blunt, and many, many more. Over 40 authors who have been on the show. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, the New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 10 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, 
Blinkist.com slash marketing book podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. And there's no risk because there's a free seven day trial. Go to Blinkist.com slash marketing book podcast. And that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the marketing book podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at marketingbookpodcast.com. It's a very smart investment in your success. And now, Back to the show. The next one is marketing operations, which you describe as teacher, accountant, and traffic cop. (laughs) So in today's world, there's a lot of technology that goes into marketing. There's almost 10,000 logos on Scott Brinker's (laughs) uh, chart, I think. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. And it's hard to make sense of as a marketer, frankly. I mean, that is a full-time job, just figuring out, okay, what problem am I solving and what is the right technology stack that I need to solve that problem? And I think in the book, you said there's probably only two people on the planet that can answer that question. If that, yes. (laughs) Okay. Scott Brinker and then maybe one other person. (laughs) Yes. So if you can find one of those people, hire them. Right. No, uh, set up a consultancy and hire them and then uh, advise everyone else. So they keep the trains running on time or uh, besides the technology? Yeah, they keep the trains running on time. They keep you from getting from getting into trouble, right? There are all these laws about, you know, who, who you can reach out to, right? Reaching out to to um, prospects and stuff, right? So they keep you from getting into trouble and they help you sort of optimize what you're doing. You know, by when you figure out what it is you need to do, they can sort of help you work out what's the best way to do that. Right, right. So the next one is product marketing, uh, which you describe as being like a, a quarterback. And why is it, uh, as you argue, the most misunderstood marketing function And uh, if you could also explain why that's actually probably the best first hire for a startup. Sure. So uh, the one of the sort of most common mistakes that I see with product marketing is uh, this myth, really, that they're they're the launch people. So I plan my product, right? I I figure out what I'm going to build and I go and build it. And then I throw my plan, right? I throw my product, basically what what I have now over the wall to some marketer. And I say, now go launch it and, you know, get a bunch of people to buy it. Yeah. Use some of that pixie dust you marketers have. Exactly. How successful is that going to be, right? Like, did you build the right product? (laughs) Who are the customers that this was built for? Did you even do all that Mm -hmm. work, right? All of those Hopefully, as a product person, you've done lots of interviews and so forth, and you've you've validated and tested the, the product with customers. Well, what was their reaction? What words did they use? What did they say, right? All of that stuff could be very, very useful to figuring out how to take this product to market. So I think of product marketing, sort of the definition that I, I like, if you will, is it's um, about connecting your product with your market and your market with your product. So if you kind of think of, of the corporate marketing as the two-way communication for your company, this is sort of effectively that with your product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you think about it that way, right, there's so much that product marketing includes, you know, from they can help you with those early interviews and understanding your market and segmenting your market. They can help you with when you have a product in market and your head's down as a product manager, your head's down solving the needs of your customers today, they can be looking out at adjacent markets and figuring out where to go next and how to expand. There's so much other stuff that they can really help you with. And the reason I suggest product marketers as a first hire for particularly sort of a product startup, if you will, is that, as I said, right, initially, there's no separation between company and product, right? And so what you really need is to figure out how are you going to build a product that is going to meet the needs of a customer set? And how are you going to communicate that value and reach those customers? And that is product marketing. Amen. And we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm using jargon, deep dive. We're going to discuss that a bit more. I'm on a a jargon sensitivity uh, cleanse. Field marketing is the last one, which um, I don't hear as much about, but it's you describe it as winning hearts and minds. And explain what that is and also why it's so important 
for field marketing to be aligned with sales? So field marketing really, you know, so especially at sort of bigger companies, um, this usually doesn't come into play until sort of a little further on in the life cycle of a company. Um, but these are people who are usually sort of doing events and programs that are sort of more local. And that's why they tend to be very tied to sales, right? Because sales, you're figuring out where your market is, where do you think you're going to sell? And they will partner with marketing to figure out what are the programs that the, the more tactically, what are the programs that we can do that will engage the market, that will get them interested, uh, that will, you know, show us off in our best light, et cetera, et cetera, and begin to build those relationships. So we're not going to go through every chapter, but as I said, chapter two is what is marketing. Chapter three is, these are very nice short titles, prove the idea. So proving the idea brought to mind that one idea from the book written by Aaron Ross and Jason Lemke, From Impossible to Inevitable, and they talk about this concept that works really well that no one seems to do called interview 20 people. And not friends or family, but just interview them about your your product idea, and you're going to get a lot of helpful uh, feedback. Talk a bit more. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but talk more about what companies could be doing to prove their idea. And I should add that you explain in the book that most startups don't survive long enough to deliver any return for their investors, and that having an idea is actually the, the easy part, um, because very few companies can successfully turn that idea into a a viable product. So that's exactly what this stage is about. The idea, you know, it, it feels and sort of the, the the lore maybe is that like, oh, you have to have this big idea. But the magic isn't in the idea. It's in actually validating that idea and executing on it, right? So this stage, and you nailed it, it's about going out to the market that you think you want to serve and talking to them and interviewing them, not your friends and family, because your friends and family are going to support you. Sure, right? mom loves us. <laughs> every VC that I talk to, every investor I talk to, to a person, this was one of the things that they said, that the companies who go out and they talk to 50, 100 or more potential customers, a statistically relevant sampling of the market, and they get a deep, deep understanding of that market and even you know, they understand what the pain points are and the problems are. And instead of focusing on their initial product idea, they focus on solving a problem for the market. Those are the ones who are going to be successful. And I'll tell you a little secret here. Sounds like a marketing book podcast exclusive. So listen up, folks. <laughs> uh, I was talking to an investor the other day, a VC, who hears countless. I mean, every day he's getting pitches. And he said, you know how many people do this? None. <laughs> if you do this, it will help you get funded too, right? Because you, when you go in to pitch and you really know about your market and you really understand the problem and have a real solution and it's not just some big idea that sounds good, <laughs> don't you think that's going to help? I'd, I'd be more inclined to give my investment dollars uh, to them just because they seem to be a lot closer to this product market fit, which is actually, for me, it was the, it's the linchpin of the book. <laughs> it's the linchpin of success is, is this whole idea of product market fit. And let me just quote from one part of the book. Product market fit, a term credited to venture capitalists Mark Andreessen, meaning being in a good market with a product that can satisfy the market is arguably the most critical milestone for any startup. He claimed that the life of any startup can be divided into two parts. Before product market fit, call this BPMF, and after product market fit, APMF. When you are... What's that? Terrible acronym. Yes, yes, yes. But hey, come on. We're marketers. We've got to use that. When you are, before product market fit, focus obsessively on getting to product market fit. Do whatever is required to get to product market fit. So say more about product market fit and what role does marketing play there? Because I got the impression that a number of founders are thinking, well, what is... What is what does marketing have to do with product market fit? Which makes me wonder if they understood the concept to begin with. Right. 
you notice that it's called product market <laughs> fit, right? There are two halves. I see what you I did mean, there. I, I think of it, and I think the image in the book actually is a puzzle pieces, right? Yeah. Because they're two pieces of a puzzle that fit together. Um, and that's the thing that they focus obsessively on product, 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 product. But it has to meet the needs for a segment of customers. And there are a bunch of mistakes that founders tend to make at this stage. And not the least of which is focusing on too big a market, mm -hmm. right? So if it's too broad a market, then how are you going to meet everybody's needs? So really understanding that specific market that you're going to start by focusing on so that you can really define a product that will meet those needs. And it's making sure that what you build actually solves the needs of that customer such that uh, if you were to take it away, they'd be really upset. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the market part is that like, that's the market, right? So it's understanding their needs. It's also understanding how they think about it. Where does it fit into their lives? Right. And all of that understanding what words they use, et cetera, is going to help you communicate the value of that product mm -hmm. to that, to that customer. What do you say to companies that say, well, we don't really have competitors. We're, we're starting a new category here. <laughs> so I would say, yes, of course you do. If you don't, then you should think and probably be worried. Even if you're starting a new category, you are replacing something, right? Mm -hmm. It may be a new twist, right? You, I mean, Salesforce.com was the... Uh, you know, this sort of such a great example of creating a new category, right? This, this, you know, cloud software, but they were selling CRM. It was replacing CRM. So they certainly had competitors, even though they were claiming a new category. And I'm a big fan of claiming a category, right? I talk about this in the book that if you really want to win in a space, then certainly creating a category is a great way to do that, right? I mean, what is that differentiation? But don't delude yourself into thinking that there aren't competitors or substitutes for whatever it is you're building. Mm -hmm. I think that companies, when they're using the word competitor, it can be helpful if you frame the conversation in terms of alternatives. So then they're actually thinking about maybe the customer's alternatives rather than the people that they know who are at the other uh, competing companies. Because they really do have lots of alternatives, even if they're not good alternatives, but their, their perception is that they have a lot of alternatives. And one other just line from your book that should be carved in stone is focus on the customer, not your product and technology. <laughs> Couldn't have been clearer right there, page 58. Focus on the customer, not your product and technology. That's one that's definitely getting stolen and putting on a big slide. Before we started recording, for the listener's benefit, I was talking about this presentation I've given a few times called Stop Talking About Your Product First. And the first time I gave it, I thought I was actually going to get thrown off the stage because it was a bunch of manufacturers. But they were very nice. So, <laughs> But it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, I'm not making a judgment here. Let's talk about mistakes companies make, though. You talk about how one of the biggest mistake companies make is starting to hire a, a go-to-market team uh, before they're ready. And another one is like over-investing in marketing before they have this product market fit. So you need to be doing marketing before then, but the marketing that you're doing before then is very much about sort of going out, you know, on all these sales calls and pitching and listening to the responses, right? You're testing out messaging and so forth. You are talking to customers and understanding how they think about whatever your product is and uh, the problem and stuff, right? And if you're going to hire a marketer at that at those earlier stages, you really want someone who is a sort of uh, something of a, a either product marketer or a Jill of all trades, someone who's got this growth mindset and can sort of do whatever is needed because you're still figuring out how are you going to market this product, right? You don't really necessarily know yet. And that's a process you have to go through to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But it seems like there's an impulse to want to say, well, just go do marketing. <laughs> well, and that you, you see that a lot. And then they wonder why it didn't pan out, right? All of you, you'll see things like, well, all of our competitors are uh, go to this conference, and so we need a huge booth at this conference. So we're going to spend hundreds of thousand dollars at this conference, and then we 
wonder why it doesn't work. Well, depending on your product and what, you know, that might not be the right approach for your product and for the specific people who you're actually going after, even though those competitors are there, right? So what I generally recommend is that you, you know, hire someone who can help you sort of, who's, who's got that sort of scientific mind and can help you experiment and figure out and try different things and kind of make, you know, just place bets and try things. Mm-hmm. And you can augment with freelancers, right? It's a great way to do it. There are all these agencies and freelancers who have expertise if you're tr- and can help you if you're trying things. And then once you've done what we call proving the business, right? Figuring out your playbook and having tested and figured out kind of what's working, then you can staff up in these specific go-to-market areas because you have a better sense of what you're going to need. Yes, absolutely. And actually, I'm going to ask you uh, about something specific in the book on pages 75 and 76, but it was such a great comparison and a contrast. It was really almost a tale of two cities of these two companies, which aren't named, but one of them did not invest in marketing and what happened to them. And the other one over-invested in marketing. Could you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, both of those can be such critical, critical problems, right? If you don't invest in marketing, then you can have the greatest product in the world and nobody's going to hear about it, right? If you if a tree falls in the forest, mm-hmm. right? It's the same problem, right? But if you over-invest and you've got limited runway, right? You don't have endless amounts of money and you over-invest and you invest in the wrong things, the wrong messaging, the wrong channels, et cetera, then you're going to crash and burn. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, we... It's funny because this sort of lean methodology, right? And agile has taken off for product management and product people and founders buy into it much more from a product standpoint about building an MVP, right? Testing and learning, testing and and iterating, but it hasn't taken off to the same degree in marketing. And it's the same, it's exactly the same thing, exactly the same approach that you should be doing for marketing. Yes, and not to keep talking about Scott Brinker, who uh, is also a an MIT. He has an MIT degree, so uh, of course, yes. So, but his book, <laughs> his book was called Hacking Marketing, and it's all about that approach to marketing. And I thought it was a particularly brilliant book because it's almost like he was explaining it to the rest of the world that's outside. The, the software world mm-hmm. and talking about you know you don't have to have twelve months of activity already planned just get it started and then start iterating uh, like crazy so well let's let's talk a bit about uh, measurement uh, you write that most leaders are uncomfortable with marketing as you say by intuition and we've touched on that a bit but one of the great advances in marketing is that so much of it is digital and uh, as a result so much of it can be measured. But this change has also caused one of marketing's greatest challenge. Business leaders expect marketing to be data-driven and known. It's like they want to know exactly what's going to happen. So talk about the rub that's that's still there, and I'm not sure it's ever going to go away. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because it is very much, a, there is still a lot of creative creativity that goes into marketing, mm-hmm. right? Some of the most effective marketing is creative marketing, right? Creative messaging, et cetera. And you can't always know, you can test things, but you can't always know what the real impact is going to be or sort of like brand impact. How much is a brand campaign going to impact your company and over what period of time? So what I recommend is that anything that you invest in, you should have a hypothesis, right? It's like those science experiments that you did in high Mm -hmm. school, set out, set forth a hypothesis, right? What do you expect? And what are you doing to, you know, impact that expectation? And then you try it and you learn and it's going to be a continuous iterative process. But with some things, you definitely have to sort of have the patience that some of your investments are going to take much longer to make an impact, Mm -hmm. right? There are some things that you can impact, right? Can you generate leads? I mean, if you tell me you need 300 leads, 1,000 leads, whatever it is, I can make that happen. I can get you leads. They may or may not be of any value. (laughs) You can give iPads away. Exactly. Right. There are all kinds of things marketers can do. Mm -hmm. But if you're 
you need to really figure out what your objectives are and kind of then maybe what some of those sort of leading indicators may be along the way. And you need to align on programs that you think will impact those and then just try things and figure out what those milestones are to kind of revisit. But you got to keep those communication lines open because, yeah, some of those things, I mean, especially when you're dealing with things that are KPIs that are sort of much longer lead, like a brand, you can't just change brand overnight. Even if you do some, you know, some crazy program that people talk about for a day, they might forget about it next week if there isn't something sustained. So if you think that you can really, you know, throw a lot of money at something and have some immediate magic, it doesn't really usually work that way. Yeah. In the book, you talk about the importance of trying to think first about the outcome you're looking for and then working backwards and asking specifically about what you want to measure. And I just thought that, you know, if marketers who are sitting there with the boss or whoever the other people are and they're saying, I want to do this, I want to do that. I mean, I was in this meeting this week (laughs) with a wonderful client, but they're real close to their product. And they're like, we want to do this, we want to do that. And they're sort of assuming that people are, uh, that they can just command attention and that people want to hear about their products and their services. But I think if a marketer were just to say, hey, that's really interesting, what outcome are we are we really looking for here? Or as Sarah Cooper, author of 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings, which is a very funny book, she said, um, guys, 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 what are we trying to accomplish here? Don't say that. But just say, what is it? What is the ultimate outcome we can get? And I guarantee you're going to get some insights and then say, great, what is it we're going to be measuring? Just those two things, just say, just think outcome and measurement. And I think that would help uh, marketers quite a bit. And it would actually raise their stature with their companies if, yeah. if they start to ask those two things. Yep. I agree. You warm the cockles of my heart several places in the book, but one was when you talked about persona-based marketing. Can you explain what persona-based marketing is for those folks that are maybe new to this and how it helps? Sure. So, I mean, effectively, persona-based marketing is really about going back, you know, it, everything comes back to the customer. And it's really going back to the beginning and understanding who is your customer, who are your customers, right? And there may be different customers, different personas, if you will. There may be multiple types of people who buy your product. There may be multiple types of people who use your product. There may be multiple people who influence the use of your product or the purchase of your product. And it's really about trying to create a picture, if you will, so that everyone, the marketers, the product people, et cetera, everyone understands who these people are and what makes them tick so that everything you do can really be, you know, targeted and approached for that, that persona. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who used to be a criminal profiler for the state police. He went around catching <laughs> arsonists and other criminals. And I always think it's similar to that. Where he, he yep. started to zero in on who the most likely person was and uh, it was very, uh, very effective. So, I got a question from a listener recently about customer journey mapping, and you touch on that briefly in the book. Could you explain what customer journey mapping is and maybe what are some of the first things that companies should be thinking about how to do this since we're on the subject of talking about customers? Sure. So, customer journey mapping is really about understanding the journey that your customer is on, right? Understanding their path, if you will, to becoming a customer and and staying a customer, right? So what I kind of recommend with this, right? People can get sort of overly, I don't know, worried about it. And so maybe they don't do it because it feels very hard, but you can just start with a whiteboard, right? How do customers, what are the ways that customers learn about your product, right? What are some of the different inputs maybe through the process of considering, of learning more about your, your company and your product and becoming a, a a customer. What is the what are the steps they go through when they d- become a customer? What are the steps they go through when they start using your product, right? Sort of if you just walk along that journey with them and try and put yourself in their shoes so you can understand what are some of those challenges, what are some of those obstacles and how maybe you can help them along that journey. It takes up the entire whiteboard ultimately it starts it really starts to open the floodgates and I, what i like about it is it gets people thinking 
more empathetically uh, about their customer if they're being honest about this. Completely, completely. Everyone should do this. If you haven't done it, you should stop what you're doing today and do it because it is eye-opening when you go through that process. Absolutely. So uh, just a couple of things I want to ask about. One, uh, Lots of great tips and tricks, but one of them I just want to ask you about. Talk about the importance of using pilot programs as it relates to you know, measuring marketing investment, just the, the pilot program, the idea of trying that instead of saying we're making wholesale changes here. So you mean in terms of the, the testing? Yes. Yeah. Because you talk yeah. about how the, the, the successful, more successful companies, they do a lot of little tests. They, instead of placing yep. all their chips on one number, which is, yep. you know, you hear about in the press, but I'm not sure uh, how often that actually happens. I don't know, maybe it does. But the idea of lots of little incremental changes and tests so that when you do yep. place those chips, you actually have a whole lot better idea of what's going to work. Yep, definitely. So, and this is this is certainly one of the common mistakes. You either see, you know, companies doing nothing or they plunk down a bunch of money on stuff that they shouldn't, they've got no business spending money on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the idea. I mean, we actually, I actually, define this as a stage, right? Proving the business before you before you open the floodgates and really spend a ton of money on marketing, I recommend you test some things, right? So if you've done things right from the beginning and you have you've validated the need with your customers and you test and iterated on your product and spent time with customers through that process really beginning really understanding them and understanding their use of the product and their interests and so forth then hopefully you've also learned where they are, what they do, right? What channels might work to reach them? What, how maybe you should message, right? And, and all of those things. And then based on that, that should give you the hypotheses to test of, should I be marketing on Facebook? Should I be doing a conference? Should I be focusing on content? And where should that content be, right? All of these kinds of things. And Instead of picking one thing and just going wholesale, spending, you know, a million dollars on something, you figure out what the smallest amount, the smallest bet you can make to test and learn and then and iterate and test and learn and iterate. Uh, And that way you don't waste money, right? This way, back to one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that people have a negative reaction to marketing is all these, you know, perceptions of failures. This keeps you from doing that because you test and learn and test and learn. Everything will help you be more successful Mm -hmm. later. Yeah. And then you can avoid what I've heard a few times in my career. We ran an ad once and nothing happened. Advertising doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) or fill in the blank, whatever the, whatever the tactic is. I was just going to say, don't get me started on the, the whole idea of growth hacking, right? This idea that you could just hack your way into successful marketing without actually figuring out what the right messaging is and the right channels and so forth. Even if you're marketing in the right place, there, there was this wholesale move to sort of optimization and sort of skipping over the fundamentals. And I think that's the the key point. Here, yeah. Right? It reminds me when people say, I begin, we already touched on this once, but when people say, well, we haven't done any marketing, I just think their ignorance protrudes, at least to me, when they, when they say that. It's like saying, I can remember years and years ago, sitting in uh, the other side of the mirror in focus groups, and you would hear some consumers, and they'd be there talking about some consumer product. This is back when I worked in advertising in New York, and they, they would say, well, I'm not influenced by advertising. Well, <clears throat> okay, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Or they just say these things, and, and really it belies a lack of understanding what they're talking about. That's why I thought it was so interesting in your book where you show some of these founders, that, you, or rather you help them discover that they've actually been doing quite a bit of marketing, but it's not what, they, it's not what that limited perception is of what marketing is. Now, earlier you talked about getting people to help you. You don't have to hire this whole marketing team when you're getting started. You might want to hire you know, product marketer or whatever the right situation is. And in your book, you you walk the the reader very carefully through when to hire the right kind of people and what the proper expectations should be for a CMO and what some of the uh, big landmines are about hiring the wrong kind of CMO. So all that's in there. But there was one part that as an agency guy, I just stood up and saluted. And it was about Hiring and working successfully with freelancers, consultants, and agencies. 
and it had three big points, and I just said amen to all three of them. I was wondering if you could talk uh, uh, just a bit about these. Let me, let me say what they are. One is set clear, realistic expectations and measures. And the second is set clear milestones for check-ins. And three, stay involved. And from my perspective as a marketing services provider and agency, the thing that we struggle with so much with prospects is trying to figure out what it is they're going to measure. And I've even taken uh, this uh, idea, I can't remember who I heard it from, but it was the idea of, I'll say, okay, let's say it's a year from now, and we fly out to see you, and we want to take you all out to dinner because you're so happy, you're so thrilled about what happened, what did happen. Because I can't even get a goal out of them. We're, you know, we work with them to try to get something to measure. And the other one is the stay involved. I, I, I see a lot of companies, at least from our end, where it, there's a perception that we're going to leave all this stuff we do at the loading dock. And it, it just doesn't really work. Yeah. So the staying involved, it sort of forgets that there's all this internal knowledge, yes. right? Mm-hmm. That the people who've hired you have a lot of knowledge and you can spend a bunch of time trying to recreate that or it, a smarter way to do it is if you can leverage that knowledge then you won't make those mistakes and instead you can take your expertise and layer it on top yes. right and you'll get them much further yeah but it's like you can't yeah, we're have trouble getting access to them or they just they think you know it's like uh, the 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 joke that or something that's funny to me is like word of mouth marketing well, word of mouth marketing is difficult to just write a check and get, like like you're buying an ad. It has to do with largely with engineering operational aspects into your business that your customers will want to talk about. Well, <laughs> you see how that's kind of complicated. But what what about the the issue of trying to understand what they're they're going to measure? I mean, I talk to a lot of companies and they want us to go do activity, and we're trying to tie it back to those two things I mentioned, which was from your book. What, what's the outcome you're looking for? I mean, the real outcome. Maybe it's not written down, but what is it that you're looking for? And, and what are the th- kind of things we can measure? Because we want to be held responsible, but also we're trying to add value and not just you know look like it's been a, a waste, like you were just describing. Honestly, as a freelancer or an agency, if the client can't articulate their goal for hiring you, I would think carefully about whether you should take that business or not. <laughs> Because I, I, I mean, I just don't know how you can be successful. And I see this a lot, right? But if they they hire an agency because they think they need to do PR, they think they need to do some kind of campaign. But if it's not, if you're, they're not clearly trying to impact some kind of metric, then there's a high probability that you won't be successful. Amen. And. I appreciate you saying that, and maybe it's taken me 30 years to figure that out, but I'm at the point now where I know how this movie ends. <laughs> it, I, yeah. I, just, I just know where it goes, and if we can't get that, I, I'm not sure they're going to be successful anyway. And of course, we all know there's you know, enormous literature about having written goals and how powerful they are and, and how rare they are. So, Jill, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? I would say to not undervalue marketing, to seek to understand. And they can do that by reading the book. And it's, you know what? Spoiler alert, it's not a long book either. I'm always so impressed when someone writes a book that's uh, very to the point like yours. I think it only goes, yours is only seems to be about 150, 160 pages. What that always means to me is that it's more carefully written. And there's so much more in the book than than what we talked about. And I would add to that, that those founders or those company leaders that have that perception of marketing, they are tying one hand behind their back trying to fight. Yep. I fully agree. So read the book. Yes. Read read the book. book. (laughs) Please, please. Uh, What is one thing the listener can do today? Just one thing that they could put in action, one of the many ideas from your book. So there are, I mean, what specifically you should do depends on your stage. And I would say wherever you are in your business, the one thing I'd recommend is stop and articulate, like literally right on the board, who is your customer and everything you can think of about your customer and 
really think through whether you are doing all the things you need to do to reach and support that customer and enable that customer to find you, to be successful with your product, et cetera. But if you stop and really put yourself in the shoes of your customer, then you'll figure out what the right things are you need to do. Oh, that is such great advice. And it sounds simple. It's difficult <laughs> for companies to do. It just brings to mind another story. Uh, years ago, there was an author on the show, and I can't remember which book, but we talked about this idea of an exercise. And this marketer, she listens to the show and she tried this and then she said she got promoted. And I said, well, it's probably because you're pretty sharp. She goes, no, this is what pushed me over. And what she did was she did this exercise with all the executives and they said, okay, I want you all to think of a character from your one of your favorite shows uh, or a movie. Uh, and it could be like The Office or, or you know, some, whatever the popular show is in your country. And so I want you to write on one piece of paper everything you know about that character. So there's probably some show that people follow and they're able to write all these funny things about the character and what their interests are and what their motivations are and what really bothers them and so forth and so on. When everybody's finished, she said, okay, now everybody turn the paper over and write everything you know about our customer. <laughs> At which point the CEO and I think the head of sales said, we've got some work to do here. So it was fun. And it's obviously, she's working for a great company that understands that. But it's just, it was so hard for folks to start to focus on their, on their customers. What books have inspired your work and career? So I would say, you know, my, my, my day job, if you will, is heading up product, really product and marketing at a startup. And inspired Obo. sorry oh, obo mm -hmm. so the company is obo and we're actually trying to address um the, the challenges around sort of uh the uh, product uh planning process and how product managers uh, work with all of their stakeholders to plan products and plan releases to make sure that they're building the right things and marty kagan's book inspired so i'm leaning a little bit out of sort of pure marketing here sure but inspired for me was formative for, uh, for me as a product manager. Hmm. And very much a lot, there are a lot of sort of similarities um, in terms of, or maybe not similarities, but sort of the relationship and a lot of the things that I bring to, the ideas that I bring to Beyond Product sort of came from how I think about product and product management and really focusing on the customer. Uh, as a as a product leader, uh, as well as as a marketer. Oh, interesting, interesting. And I think that book has been mentioned on the the podcast before. So uh, we'll make sure to include a link to it in your episode show notes. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Yes. So I've been reading um, "Traversing the Traction Gap" by Bruce Cleveland. Oh yeah, and which... you quoted him in your book too. I, I did. He's one of the people I interviewed for, for my book. And, you know, full disclosure, he's one of the investors in the company that I just started working at. So um, I, I know Bruce. He was actually my boss in a first, in, you know, my one of my past lives uh, as well. But his book is also, it's very complimentary to Beyond Product. He's been a VC for many years and has a whole bunch of data and has really sort of put together a framework, a, a different a sort of related but different framework that really focuses in particular around the that point of gaining traction for your business. Oh, interesting. And how you need to do it. And so it's a, yeah, it's a good read. Wow. I highly recommend I'm it. looking it up on Amazon right now. I'd, I'd seen him in the book, but then at the very end, I missed the, the title of that. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to uh, your sites that we've mentioned, uh, Oboe and uh, the, your book website, beyondproduct.co, and your social media. And we're going to include your LinkedIn profile so listeners can learn more about you and hopefully connect with you. And thank you for joining the show. I always, uh, the authors really get a kick out of hearing from the listeners. And for you, dear listener, if you are listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Beyond Product, How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business. The authors are Jill Soley and Todd Wilms. Jill, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. This was fun. 
And that closes the book on episode 254 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to the special offer at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Paul Smith back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. It's a bit longer, but it talks about so many of the same things. And as I was reading it, just like I was reading yours and uh, Hogan and Broadbent's book, I just kept saying to myself, no, this this can't be true. This <laughs> It's well, this is so you know, I'll be honest with you, right? So, as I started putting together presentations, and even when I was kind of reviewing the the book before sending it out, I kept having to do a sort of gut check because so many of the things that we talk about in the book feel so obvious, yes, yes. I, and then, and so I'm like, God, you know, I, I go to speak and I'm like, is everyone going to laugh me off the stage? Right. Does this sound so obvious? But then I go and speak at an, an accelerator or something. And I talk to a founder who tells me about how um, this great idea, which sounds phenomenal, but I ask him what the pain point is that he's solving and he doesn't know. Right. Like, and I go, Oh, right. Yes. There's a reason I wrote this book. Right. But I, I <laughs>